Welcome to Genesis NFT by NFT's What The Fuck, hosted by me, Jamie Burke. We're doing a retrospective on the history of NFTs, its key moments and people, from Counterparty to Rare Pepe's, CryptoPunks and Kitties, from Xcopy to Pack and Beeple's Record Auction, with the stories from the people inside the hurricane and hear their hopes and fears for its future. These episodes, now over 16 hours have been recorded, will be turned into a single audio documentary released as an NFT time capsule. Follow at NFTs WTF to keep updated on the drop on Twitter. So could you introduce yourself by name and how you describe your role in the NFT ecosystem? Yeah. Hey, I'm MetaDreamer, also Hamad. My my role I see in the NFT ecosystem is kind of uh, you know, being someone to like push forward the culture and sort of push forward what we can really do with NFTs through, you know, my work at Metafactory and everything we're doing with digital fashion and sort of try to see like, you know, what's the, what do NFTs look like in, in five, 10 years from now? You know, what's really the, the next step beyond just like minting art with NFTs? Yeah. So maybe just give us like a high level description of Metafactory and we'll get into the detail of it a little bit later, but just sort of like a high level intro. Yeah. So I kind of like to describe it as like, a composable merch platform for decentralized communities or a digiphysical culture studio, essentially like kind of focusing on crypto culture and cultivating it through fashion and merch and working with different DAOs and communities to create like positive sum games and sort of highlight the the different sort of like sub uh, subcultures within crypto and celebrate that. And maybe just quickly describe what is a DAO and, and how that functions in the context of Metafactory? Yeah, so a DAO stands for Decentralized Autonomous Organization. But in, in practice, it's the principle of it is essentially like an open community of people kind of working together to create value together and sharing in that value together. Kind of the main purpose of a DAO is to have things be as transparent as possible. It's kind of like the antithesis of like a top-down corporation. Instead, it's kind of like outside-in where contributors and the community sort of gives their input and shapes what the DAO is about instead of someone at the top telling the community what to do. Awesome. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit about the link between DAOs, NFTs, and the, and the metaverse, if, if we can call it that. But let, let's do a little bit on kind of your, your personal journey in, into this space and how, at a high level, how you understand that NFT. So, you know, if, if you were to be talking to a, a noob and trying to explain, NFTs and why they're important. How do you do that? Yeah, so I think for me, the the most amazing part about NFTs is that for the first time in human history, all of sort of the cultural and artistic creation can happen on one medium, which is you know the Ethereum blockchain, and sort of this one canonical ledger of record for all the things that we create. And if you just think throughout history, like the importance of art, it's kind of one of the most longest lasting things that we have, you know, the from the cavemen, the one, the major thing that we have from them still is like the the drawings on the wall, you know, and it's something really core to like who we are as humans, right? Throughout history, even when, you know, we were just like trying to survive in the wild and get food for the day, like we were still creating art. And I think that's really what's the most significant part of NFTs is like now that there is this one sort of canonical ledger of human creation that we can all point to. And it sort of sits on one medium. And that I think is really powerful. And it's like, it kind of ties together 
the whole history of humans creating art into this one ledger. And do you, so kind of linked to that, do you feel that it was, it kind of had to be that the first use case for NFTs would be art? I think like that's definitely the first use case that took off, but I think there's, there's many beyond that. In terms of if it had to be art, I don't think it needed to be, but it just, you know, based on like CryptoPunks, right? That's really what kind of set the set the boat sailing forward on on NFTs and created that narrative. So I think CryptoPunks being a form of art helped or the art space and the NFT space kind of uh, collide in, in the way that it has now. But moving forward, I think it's kind of like in 2017 when we kind of just tunnel vision on ICOs or token sales as like, this is what tokens are used for and kind of didn't really innovate. And that led into whatever that was in 2017. Um, and it's only now that people are starting to experiment more with tokens, seeing what they can, the, the power that they really have in terms of like incentive alignment and, you know, token economics and these sort of positive sums, you can positive some games that you can build with, with tokens. In the same way, I think, you know, we've had this phase of NFT art being like the mechanism in which like NFTs had this mainstream awareness and adoption. But moving forward, I think, you know, a few years from now, even in the next 12 months, there's going to be much or there needs to be much more focus on the next level of NFTs and going beyond just like here's an IPFS hash of a JPEG linked on chain. There's just so much more we can do. And we're not even like using 10% of like the potential of the technology. So tell us about your journey into NFTs. How did you how did you get introduced to NFTs and, and can you tell us about that journey to where you are now? Yeah, so my journey into NFTs is pretty similar to actually my journey into like getting involved in like contributing in Web3 and the crypto space at large. So Metafactory originally was called SwagDAO. They had a branding competition for renaming it and that's where I kind of came up with the concept of Metafactory. And just, you know, based on the the type of people in this space, sort of the early crypto artists, you know, the things going on in crypto voxels, like we were we were pretty early in in, in that whole space. And we had like this Metafactory headquarters we created in crypto voxels and just being around in those early days of all these like crypto artists coming up and just, you know, once you go into crypto voxels and you walk around and you see all the things people are creating, that was kind of like a pivotal moment, you know, and I was like, wow, this is like, it's a whole it's a whole new way of thinking about creativity and art and culture and how it how it's developing and those early days that I really got to see how 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 it took shape. And what was your background prior to that? Were you coming from the creative perspective from the technological side you a coder? Or? Yeah, so by profession I'm a software engineer and a designer and before that I I was working on actually a fashion tech startup. So that's why kind of the collision between Metafactory being a fashion-related crypto thing and my passion for crypto and design and software engineering is kind of like uh, everything I wanted in one place. So in that sense, it was like that that really interesting alignment there. And I, I consider myself someone who's bounces pretty actively between like the creative and like engineering side of things. So NFTs for that reason are really fascinating to me just because it it is, you know, fundamentally like a technological innovation, but the utility and sort of how it's been used is very much uh, on the creative side. So yeah, it was just a really interesting space for me to start exploring. So was the the use of meta in Metafactory a reference to understanding all of this stuff placed within the context of the metaverse? In a way, yes. So the kind of concept of Metafactory was we were going to be a factory of factories 
you know, or a brand of brands that Metafactory itself is not a factory, but it's kind of a dynamic living brand or a community that's defined by its community members. Even our branding, you'll see that we use these different colors and shapes of robot faces. Like we don't have a single logo. We have 20 different logos. And the idea was that, you know, we can use Ethereum and use these um, Web3 tooling that we have to create this higher level alignment between people and production partners and artists and creatives and kind of come together to create something that's like bigger than the sum of its parts. You know, and we can get into the whole like DAO side of things and how it's more powerful in Web3 to actually collaborate than to try to compete and the sort of innovations you can have in terms of IP and licensing and, you know, sharing brand assets and letting having this like open source mindset for for creativity and having the tools to distribute value to people who use use these assets where in the traditional world like there wasn't those mechanisms to dynamically and programmatically permissionlessly distribute value in that way so you know people have to fight for their IP and protect their IP and you know go into all these things but you know so metafactory that name sort of being a way in which we can like open up this this whole new category of people coming together to collaborate. Um, and you talk about mechanisms that enable that collaboration, that kind of open collaboration. Presumably you see NFTs as a core mechanism in that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think like we're kind of getting there. Like NFT royalties is kind of, you know, hinting at that fact where, you know, artists can actually like see the value from like secondary sales and don't have to sort of feel like they need to protect their IP. It goes even beyond like artists, you know, like, you can get into like if you look at the textbook industry, for example, them having to like create these like trivial new revisions every year just so they can sell more copies and try to like suppress secondary sales because there was no mechanism for them to make money off secondary sales. But with NFTs, there are so you know you know it kind of fixes that like that coordination problem of like why waste you know why create these trivial changes in textbooks, waste all this paper like it's all a bunch of unnecessary stuff just because there wasn't the tools there. Same thing with like IP and licensing, right? Like if someone right now wants to use like the Mickey Mouse hand in some art piece or some piece of merch, they have to like go through some crazy long legal process, pay hundreds of thousands of dollars of like licensing fees to Disney and and all these things. But NFTs, you can actually encode that licensing and the, those rights on chain and have it in a much more like fractional or like granular way where I can license like specifically this asset for specifically this use case for this time and only have to pay for that. And the the people who own that IP can, you know, distribute all these assets and let people use them and actually like get the value back from that. And likewise with, with artists and individuals, like they can start to create communities where the community members can start to like participate in the creation and the, the design, the opportunities on, on that side. So it, it blurs the lines between like, creators and consumers or producers and consumers and creates a much more like lush ecosystem for for creativity. And could you maybe tell the listeners specifically how NFTs as a as a technology enable this? So you've you've alluded to this idea of the, the royalty component, but you know, how would you describe the technical innovation of an NFT in the context of of what you just described there? Hmm. Yeah, so I think a lot of it has to do actually with this, like the technical innovation of the blockchain itself, you know, the transparency and ability to track these assets, how they go, like where they go, who they go to, the the value that flows between them, you know, so with the, with these smart contracts that 
are sort of the basis of these NFTs. Right now, they've just been used to like, you know, keep a track of what this content is. But you can imagine in the future, we can have like stateful NFTs, NFTs that have like, that react and respond based on like who owns the NFT, the the time, the how long they were owned for. You can start to encode and program all these rules in, in the NFTs that you weren't able to before. Or if, if you were, it was kind of just like, you know, in, in your own centralized database or your centralized system. But this being like a global public blockchain, it, it allows for this system to run in a much more interoperable way where we, we can have these standards, we can come up with these mechanisms that allow things to be composed in ways in which they weren't able to before. You know, the the composability, I think, is is a real superpower. You can kind of see what DeFi had done with it. You know, it started with just Uniswap and Maker, and then people use those kind of building blocks to create like, other products, you know, then you have Yearn and you have, you know, Aave and all these other like increasing complexity things that kind of use those fundamental building blocks. And I think similarly with NFTs, once we start to have these building blocks of licensing and royalties and, you know, metadata ability for people to like unlock experience with these NFTs, it's, it, it enables other people to then build on top of that in a permissionless way. And that that's just like, it's much more powerful and it encourages so much more creativity and innovation. Yeah, so in a way where we have a DeFi stack, we're kind of waiting or at least watching an NFT stack form. I just want to go back to stateful NFTs because I think it's a super interesting concept, the idea that most NFTs right now are fairly dumb in terms of their logic, pretty basic, and it's largely based upon a human manually doing something. But could you talk us talk about the idea that increasingly NFTs become I don't, maybe intelligence a bit too much of a stretch, but stable? Yeah, for sure. And there's already some projects like experimenting with this, like with Avagachi kind of replicating what it was like to have a Tamagotchi, this kind of like virtual pet. Similarly, you can imagine like a virtual pet as an NFT, you know, CryptoKitties were kind of stateful NFTs in a way too. So, and this is other project too, that is basically using GPT-3 with NFTs to have like virtual like characters that can like, you can talk and interact with. So in that way, I think the, you know, you look at the NFT market today and it's kind of like starting to get like really saturated. You see like, you know, these people selling art and on the secondary marketplace, it's kind of like, you know, are, are we just like trading art now? Like, what is this for? But when you have stateful NFTs, like the value of an NFT at one point in time can be completely different at another point in time. And you can have different like ways to interact with the NFT, essentially like APIs or endpoints in which you can like poke and prod at this NFT and it can react and do different things. So that creates a much more dynamic ecosystem where, like you said, you know, these NFTs can almost be considered like sentient beings that live in the blockchain in the future and kind of do their own thing and dynamically respond. I think it, it, it's hard to even predict what, what these can be used for in a, in a more practical sense. Like what we plan to use like a level of stateful NFTs for is the metaverse wearables we want, where we want a single NFT to act as a wearable for many different v- virtual worlds. But for that to happen, we kind of need to make them future-proof, right? Like if, if we mint an NFT for like a set of virtual worlds, but then a new one comes around that people want to use and this NFT doesn't work with that, it's kind of like lame, you know? The, the value of the NFT is only really valuable if it can sort of last forever in, in a sense, you know. So creating the mechanisms in which we can, you know, retroactively update these NFTs to work in different virtual worlds where it starts to become more future-proof. That, that's another like example of 
why stateful NFTs can be valuable. Yeah, and presumably if you want to do these retrospective updates to NFTs, that means as the creator, you need control of the smart contract, right? So how important to you is is that as a creator versus minting something on somebody else's platform? Yeah, so I think right now the NFT space is kind of like very centered around these platforms and people like, oh, what platform should I drop on? You know, platforms kind of being like the center focal point. But I think moving forward, they're going to start to fade away and the creators themselves are going to be the platforms as the, the tooling matures and it, it becomes creators easier for creators to like do things in a way that doesn't lock them into a specific platform, I think will be important. And you, you start to see like there is a difference in perception when people see an NFT drop on like Nifty Gateway or Foundation versus, you know, seeing like a bespoke NFT drop with like a custom interface that with custom contracts that it has a lot more intention built into it and kind of like innovates in a way that you don't really get just kind of using um, pre-baked contracts that are available on, on these various platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. Uh, Metadreamer, thanks so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Likewise. Thanks for having me. So I hope you enjoyed the episode as much as I did. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast, like, rate, and review. We're going to be dropping two of these a week, so make sure you don't miss a beat. And also follow us on at NFTs WTF to keep updated on the NFT time capsule drop. <laughs>